so much. Um, as your word says that you loved us and washed us from our sins with your own blood, that you've rescued us and you've given each one of us a fresh start and a second chance in life. And we thank you that, Lord, you're so good in all your ways. All your ways are righteous and true. We can entrust our entire lives into your hands in knowing that you are faithful, reliable, and dependable. And we thank you for your word. May you speak to our hearts this morning by your spirit through your word that you would do a fresh work in each one of our lives. We're in desperate need of a fresh work of your spirit to see you, Jesus, as you truly are. And that we would in turn worship you and to live for you, to celebrate you, to honor you. And so have your way this morning, we pray for your glory. And it's in your name, your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, I've, I've given like a little outline for chapter one. And you may remember um, chapter one, the first three verses of the chapter are like an introduction to the book of Revelation. And then verses four through eight is a greeting. Verses four through eight, a greeting. And then in verses nine through 20, Jesus shows up. And I can't wait to get to that part. We're not going to get there this morning. Can I encourage you to read ahead, by the way, also to prepare your heart for next week and prepare for what the Lord would have for us. And so we left off in verse, which verse we leave off in? Verse 6, verse 7, somewhere in that range. So I'm going to go back to verse 4 and get a running start this morning to get the flow, the context. Remember, this part is the greeting, and it's from John, John the Apostle, to the seven churches which are in Asia, and we will be introduced to the names of those churches in verse 11 of this chapter, and then in chapters 2 and 3, um, where Jesus gives report cards to these churches. And so John to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and then that common greeting uh, of the day, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the king's of the earth. And so John's like grace and peace. And we, we, again, we're reminded of where grace and peace come from the entire Trinity, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And now John begins to talk about Jesus. It, it, it's almost like he can't stop talking about Jesus. And so he says, look at the next, next part of that verse, or next verse, um, next, next part of verse five, to him, speaking of Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John, what does John do here? He begins this greeting and then all of a sudden begins to talk about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is and how beautifully he talks about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And listen, the whole Bible, listen this morning, the whole Bible is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. 66 books, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, over 15 or 1600 years of writing, and the entire Bible, that's a miracle, that's supernatural. It's all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Please don't ever forget that. What you have in your hands is supernatural, it's miraculous, and it all points to Jesus. Amen? It's almost like he begins talking about Jesus and he just breaks out in praise. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can I ask you a question? When you hear about the, when you think about or when you read about or hear about the person and work of Jesus Christ, does it cause you to be thankful and praise him? It should. That's what we see here. John just broke out in praise when he thinks about Jesus, when he writes about Jesus. And then John goes from praising, look at this, he goes from praising Jesus now to describing 
the return of Jesus. Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7 says, behold. What's behold mean? Check it out. Listen up is the idea. Look for yourself also. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so John says, behold, check it out. John wants us this morning to behold the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, that word behold is used, I think, 30 times in this book. And it speaks here specifically of Jesus' second coming to this earth to set up his kingdom for a thousand years, also known as the... You, got, you guys, is that when the millennials are going to reign again? No way, Jose. No. Jesus is going to rule and reign on this earth. And we, the promise of God's word is that we're going to rule and reign with him. I have no idea what that looks like, but I can't wait. We'll come back with him. Revelation 19, if you're taking notes, that's where we're going to read about it later on. But notice how he describes the Lord's coming, his second coming to this earth. He's coming with clouds. And you guys know clouds represent God's presence throughout the Bible. Remember in, uh, in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness? They had a pillar of fire by night to give them light and a pillar of cloud by day. We know that when the tabernacle was built, the temple was built also that God's presence was manifested in a cloud. How awesome. And then remember with me in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus is now risen. He's about to ascend into heaven. And his disciples were asking him, well, what about, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Is it, is it time for the kingdom? Time for the, they're always, that was always the big deal. Is it time for the kingdom? And Jesus said, listen, it's not for you to know, right? It's in the Father's hands. Um, but here's what I want you to do. I have, a, I, have a, I have a commission for your lives. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Wait till you are endued with power from on high. Wait till you're baptized with the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses wherever I lead you. I've got a calling on your, on your life. Don't worry about that right now. You just go to Jerusalem and hang out and wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. And then all of a sudden, Jesus began to leave. You guys remember that? And he, and he got caught up into the clouds, and the disciples are sitting there scratching their heads, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is gone, vanishes out of sight, and they're still standing there looking in the air, aren't they? You remember that? And they're standing there looking, and then two dudes in white, I think they're angels, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you standing, staring at the clouds? Get, get to work. Get busy. Go to Jerusalem. The way you saw him go is the way he's going to return. With clouds. Interesting, with clouds. Jesus rides on a cloud. It tells us in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In chapter 14 of Revelation, we see Jesus sitting on a cloud also. And then, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to read it. Matthew's Gospel, remember the Olivet Discourse? Jesus is giving us a heads up on how end times things are going to roll out. And Jesus said concerning his second coming to this earth, he said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. You know what that means? Is it going to be dark? It'll be dark. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man. Check it out coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so Jesus' second coming to this earth, he will be coming with clouds. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, there's a reference of clouds speaking figuratively of believers also. So you can check that out later. But notice in connection with his second coming in verse 7, it says, every eye will see him. All eyes will see Jesus. 
everyone, even they who pierced him. I believe that is speaking uh, specifically of the Jews. Um, And it's a reference to Zechariah chapter 12. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at it a little bit later on. Um, Remember, it was the Romans who physically crucified Jesus, but it was the Jews that handed him over to be crucified or to be executed. But can I remind us this morning, in one sense, we all pierced Jesus with our sins. Isaiah 53 tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. Literally, that word wounded in Hebrew means he was pierced through for our transgressions. Not only that, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus. In other words, he absorbed the pain, the suffering, the judgment, and the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. He took it all in our place. Does that make sense? In fact, John just wrote about it. He washed us in his own blood. He gave his life that we might have Life, And then notice what else he says about the second coming and all the tribes of the earth. How many is all? All. All the tribes, every group, people group will mourn. Literally, the whale will be cut to the heart. Why? Because of him, because of Jesus. In recognition of who he is, even so, yes, it is true. Amen. So be it. Listen, the one major theme of the entire book of Revelation is Jesus Christ coming, his second coming, coming to defeat his enemies on earth and to set up his kingdom on this planet. And for those that mock Jesus, those that reject him, mock him, those that mock his word, mock his coming, um, mock Christians, make fun of, um, it's going to be frightening. And if you're listening this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not too late. He loves you. It's not an accident you're here or listening. It's not a coincidence. God doesn't make, there's no accidents or coincidences with our Lord. He doesn't make mistakes. He's reaching out to rescue you and save you as well. Revelation, listen, is a book of victory. We know the end, don't we? Do you guys ever get a book and read the end first to see how it ends? Some of you guys do. You're like, no, I don't do that. What about when you first got saved? What was the first book you wanted to learn? I got to read Revelation. I got to find out how it ends. And then you start reading and go, what's this talking about? But can I just remind us, we know how it ends. Jesus wins. If you're on Jesus' team, guess who else wins? We win, don't we? We live happily ever after with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that bring you peace this morning? It should. Does that bring you comfort this morning? Assurance this morning? Amen. And then verse 8, the Lord speaks. He gives a little introduction, if you will. And what he's saying, let me, let me just boil it down, what he's saying. I am God and I am coming. I am God and I am coming. He begins by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Alpha, like the top, is the top dog of the pack? Is that what he's trying to say here? What's he trying to say, Alpha and Omega? Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. How do you know that, Pastor? I learned it in a fraternity in college. (laughs) That was about all I learned. (laughs) I'm not endorsing fraternities, by the way. (laughs) But think about that. It's the last letter and first letter. We would say from A to Z, right? You guys ever hear that saying? Oh, this store has everything from A to Z. That dude knows everything from A to Z, right? In other words, that means you know everything about it. You have everything. Well, can I just encourage us this morning? Jesus is life's A to Z. He knows everything. He has everything. He's the expert in all things. Is Jesus the expert in all things? Is he the expert in marriage? He is. Why do we go run to counselors and... Psychologists and is Jesus the expert in child rearing, child raising, rearing? Is it rearing, rearing, raising them up? Is Jesus the expert in that department? He is. Why do we go get books and stuff? Does he are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in Jesus Christ? Why, Why would we need to go anywhere else? Can I save you some money? If you don't have a Bible, we'll give one to you. 
And then you ask the Lord, he'll give you wisdom. Is Jesus the expert in business? Peter didn't think so. Remember, what, remember Peter? When Jesus took Peter on a little fishing trip? Some of you read about that later. It's okay. We don't have time to talk about it. Is Jesus the expert in your area of expertise this morning? He is. Why would we look elsewhere for help when he wants to help us? To lead us to guide us, whether you're a student, whether you're in business, whatever it is, whatever area of life. He's the expert. He's life's A to Z. Not only that, he's the beginning and the end. Beginning means chief or preeminent. It all begins with him. He's the creator. Colossians 1. Jesus, all things are created by him and for him. Do you know you're created for Jesus Christ? For a personal relationship with him. And life will not make sense until you come to know him personally and begin to walk with him. And then you understand about life. And then life begins to work as you're applying his word in your life. He is the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end. Aren't you glad about that? Anybody glad about he's the author and finisher? He was there at the beginning when you gave your life to him. Do you know he's going to be there at the end too? Like Stephen, I like I think like Stephen when Stephen was martyred, he saw Jesus, what, standing at the right hand waiting to welcome him home. I think the Lord does that for all of his children, standing to wait to welcome us home. Well, what about the in-between? He was there at the beginning. He was there at the end. What about in-between? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you always, even to the end of the age, he said. That should bring us peace this morning, shouldn't it? Jesus is sharing these things, that these things would bring peace and comfort to our hearts and, and, and encouragement in our lives. He's the beginning and the end. Do you know that Jesus will always have the final say? Do you believe Jesus will have the final say? His word will have the final say, not only in his, his word will have the final say in the world and everything that's going on around us, but his word will have the final say in your life and in my life also. That brings me great comfort because there's sometimes I'm thinking, I'm gonna be the first one to disprove your promise here, Lord. And then the Lord reminds me that he's faithful, that he's dependable, that all of his promises are maybe and sort of are what? Yes. And amen. I can rest in him. He's given us exceedingly great and precious promises that we can take to the bank. His word will have the final say. Please hold on to that. His word will have the final say in your life and in my life, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus is eternal. He exists past, present, and future. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Almighty. What does Almighty mean? All-powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. I looked it up, and I found this definition. Almighty means the one who has his hand on everything. Isn't that great? The one who has his hand on everything. You read in Ezra and Nehemiah, how Ezra and Nehemiah, in that era, it was like they always talked about God's good hand upon us. God's hand upon us. Isn't that beautiful description of the Lord having his hand upon our lives? Listen, if you want to crash and burn, take the wheel away from the Lord. Start trying to run your own life. You know what I'm talking about? You guys ever seen the bumper sticker, the Lord is my co-pilot? If you have that, switch seats. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever seen that bumper sticker? It's like, scratch that thing out. The Lord is my pilot. He's running the show. Your will be done, Lord. Here's my desire, Lord, but your will be done. You are the potter. I'm the clay. I'm entrusting my full life to your care. You've begun a good work in me. You're the one that's going to see it through to completion. You're the beginning. You're the end. You're the almighty. I'm the all not. That should bring us peace this morning. And rest this morning. That was all the further I got for service. Well, is that it? No, so notice, notice a couple of things here in verses 7 and 8. It's something that's repeated twice. Jesus said, behold, it says, behold, he is what? He is coming. And then in verse 8 says, the Lord who is and who was, and who is to what? To come. So we're talking about the coming of our Lord. Is is Jesus coming? Do you believe, does everybody believe he's coming? 
Is it important? When we take communion, Paul said to the Corinthians, every time we take of the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he what? Till he comes. We're saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm taking the bread. I'm taking the cup. Thank you for what you did for me. And I know you're coming for me also. You are alive. So what's the deal with the coming? Are we talking about the rapture of the church or the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth? What is the difference? I've been taught this. I've been taught that. Listen, a lot of us come from different church backgrounds. Maybe you came from no church background. There's lots of presuppositions, uh, preconceived ideas, preconceived notions. Some of us have come out of denominations. We've been taught certain things. Um, And I just want to take a a look and allow the scriptures to speak to us this morning about this issue of his coming. And the difference, listen, the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Because I believe there is a difference. They are two separate, distinct events. And if you don't agree with me, you're entitled to your own distorted opinion. I've got the microphone, so this is what I'm going to teach this morning. And if you're mid-trib, post-trib, maybe you're pan-trib, you just hope it all pans out and you don't really care. Can I just encourage us this morning that this is, not a, this, is, this is not a theological position. This is a relationship issue. Of the groom, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, coming for his bride, you and me. Because we have a love relationship with him. That we are looking for his return that we are about our Lord's business, desiring to honor him with our lives. We've been rescued and saved. We're no longer going to hell. He's given us a second chance, a fresh start, the opportunity, the privilege of serving him. And he said he's coming. Jesus said he's coming. Paul said he's coming. Peter said he's coming. John said he's coming. James said he's coming. Jude said he's coming. Everybody in the New Testament says he's coming. Jesus is coming. So what's the deal? Hallelujah. Number one, where are we going to start? You ready for this? John 14. Jesus, the rapture is Jesus coming from heaven, the Father's house, to get his bride. Who is his bride? The church. Thank you very much. Isn't that great? We're not the old lady of Christ. We're the, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. He's coming from the Father's house to get his bride. Believers, the bride will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord and for him to take us back to the Father's house. Are you ready for this? John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You got a troubled heart this morning? Here's the answer. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Is that awesome? Jesus says, I'm coming from the Father's house. I'm coming to get you. Right now, I'm I'm making a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm coming to get you to bring you back to heaven that you might share in the glory that I've had from eternity past and always will. That's awesome. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to flip over there. The Thessalonians were tripping out when Paul wrote to them. They were worried about their loved ones that that were believers that died and what would happen to them with the resurrection and and all of that and the rapture and how's this all connected and and he says in verse 13 but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren what's ignorant mean that sounded right it starts with s rhymes with nupid (laughs) you said you guys said I didn't say it in church (laughs) I don't want you to be ignorant brethren Concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for dying in the Lord. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with who? To be with the Lord. That means our last breath here will be our first breath in his presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. Paul's like, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happens to our brothers and sisters that die, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Those in the world, they don't have hope like we have hope. We know where we're going. We know where our loved ones in the Lord are. They're in heaven. They're in the Father's house right now. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. And then he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? It's absolutely imperative to be saved. We who believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him who? Those who sleep in Jesus. So when Jesus comes, when God comes, he's coming with those, our brothers and sisters, that have already gone before us. How cool is that? They're coming. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so some believe, um, believe that when it talks about the dead in Christ will rise first, it's our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. That's when they get their new resurrection bodies at the rapture. And so they come back. What, are they, what do they have right now? They have like, temp, like loner bodies right now of some sort. Um, we're not told. Um, some people believe because God lives outside of the time-space continuum and our brothers and sisters that are with him right now, um, they're outside of the time-space continuum already that they already have their resurrected bodies. Um, I lean more towards that than the previous. In any event, don't miss the point. What's happening here is that Jesus comes from heaven, comes with our brothers and sisters. Then we who are alive, that would be us, and remain, shall be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you comforted by that this morning? I hope you are. So Jesus comes, right? Some things are going to happen. We're told there, right? There's the, there's the, the shout and the, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet. And then we're going to be caught up. The Greek word is harpazo, to be snatched away immediately into the air to be with the Lord. How cool is that going to be? I've been practicing. I'm trying not to gain any weight. So it's just boom. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's a joke. That's a rapture joke. But harpot, so, and I know the objection, well, rapture is not in the Bible, man. Neither is Bible. Does that mean we discount it? Rapture is in the Latin Vulgate. It's a, it's a translation from the, the Latin of this word, rapturo or raptuso or something. I can't remember exactly how it's pronounced. But in any event, we're going to be caught up in the air and then go to the Father's house to be with the Lord Forever Is that good news this morning to y'all? It, it is to me. The second coming of Jesus Christ, please listen, to this earth to set up his kingdom is found in Revelation 19, verses 11 through chapter 20, verse 10. If you're writing that down, we'll, we'll get to it unless the Lord comes. Did, listen, did God make promises to the children of Israel in the Old Testament? Is our God a promise-keeping God? There are, there are still some promises that have yet to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel. And listen, during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth, all of those promises will be fulfilled literally and completely because our God is a promise-keeping God. At the rapture, Jesus comes for his bride, for his followers. At the second coming, listen, at the second coming of Christ to set up his kingdom, we will come with him. If you're taking notes, if you're still in Revelation, flip one book to the left. It's a little book. You guys know what it is? You guys know your Bibles. It's like a little postcard. If you go too fast, you're going to go right through it. You can read this in one sitting tonight. 
and say, I read a whole book. <laughs> read a whole book in the Bible. Not hard, right? Then you can keep going to the left, a couple more shorties. Look at verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold. What's behold mean again? Check it out, right? Tune in. Behold, the Lord comes with, not for, with ten thousands of his saints. Why? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when Jesus comes, what's going to happen? Second coming, he's going to wipe out his enemies. All those that are ungodly. The rapture, listen, the rapture is imminent. What does imminent mean? It can happen at any time, happen at any moment. In fact, if you're taking notes, Revelation chapter 22, last chapter, Jesus says three times. If Jesus says something three times, is that like important? Last three times he speaks. You know what he says three times? Behold, I am coming quickly. Quickly means suddenly, without warning. Boom, I'm coming. It's coming at any moment. It's imminent. I believe it's the next great event that's going to happen, personally. And only the Father knows the exact time. Didn't Jesus say something like that? He said, no one knows the day or the hour. That's why it's important. If someone starts saying Jesus is coming at this time or that time, you say, uh-uh, time out, bogus, false prophet. We got rocks out back for false prophets. No, we don't. Just, that's the Old Testament stuff. Sorry. Covenant confusion going on. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little while. You know what that means? Any moment. But, hey, here's the deal. We don't know the day or the hour of the rapture, but guess what? We do know the day and the hour of Christ's coming, second coming to this earth. What? Jesus Christ's second coming to this earth is at the end of the seven years of the tribulation. The seven years of tribulation is covered, check this out, is covered from Revelation chapter 6 all the way to Revelation chapter 19. You guys with me still? Chapter 6 to chapter 19 covers the seven-year period of the tribulation. During that time, as we study together, as we're going through this book together, the church is no longer mentioned on earth, but in heaven. We see the church in heaven in Revelation what comes before chapter 6, 4 and 5? The church is in heaven. Awesome. I think it's important to know that. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. How do we know the tribulation is seven years? I'm glad you asked that this morning. Daniel chapter 9, if you're taking notes. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. By the way, the tribulation period is also known as Jacob's trouble, the hour of trial, the overflowing scourge. If you study your Bible, you'll see different terms used for it. It's also the day of the Lord. And by the way, can I encourage you? Every single time to study this on your own, every time you see that phrase, day of the Lord used, Throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it always, without question, refers to the seven-year period of the tribulation. I would challenge you and encourage you to go study that on your own. Every time day of the Lord is used, it's always in reference to this period, the seven-year period of the tribulation. Let's get back to Daniel. Daniel 9. What's going on in Daniel 9? Daniel's in captivity. Remember Daniel went into captivity in Babylon? You guys remember that? Who was he with? Remember his three buddies? Rakshak and Benny, did you say? <laughs> Rakshak and Benny, that's from VeggieTales. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get taken away as young kids. Purposed in their hearts not to defile themselves. They were living for the Lord. 
God lifted them up. God used them. They were in captivity. The captivity lasted 70 years. And Daniel's there at the tail end of the 70 years, and he's reading his Bible. He's studying his Bible, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God predicted that the captivity would end in 70 years. We're getting super close. This is it. And what does he do? You guys remember what he does? Does he throw a party? Firecrackers? What does he do? Number one, he's broken. He's broken before God. And he fasts and prays and seeks the Lord. Listen, what should our response be seeing in light of the times we're living in? It's getting super close. The Lord's coming. He prays, and in prayer, all of a sudden, who flies in? Who flies in? Starts with G, rhymes with Nabriel. Gabriel flies in, and what does he say? Daniel, we've heard your prayers. I got dispatched a little while ago. I finally made it. Finally showing up. And guess what? I got a surprise for you, buddy. That's not what he said, just like loose translation, Robertson translation. There's 490 years on the prophetic calendar for your people, the Jews, and your city, Jerusalem. How many years? 490. The prophetic clock will start with a decree being issued, Nehemiah chapter 2, you can check it out later, by Artaxerxes Longimanus, the decree to go back and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Remember who it was who did it? The sh- one of the shortest guys in the Bible, Nehemiah. Remember him? <laughs> Nehemiah. Some of you get that later. It's okay. Just Bible jokes. Bill Dad, the shoe height, was the other guy, shorty. You'll get that later. It's okay. It's cool. <laughs> So Nehemiah gets the decree to go back and to rebuild the wall. From that point up until the Messiah would be cut off. In other words, the Messiah would be crucified, rejected. 483 years. What's so interesting is that um, there was some studies further done on that. And if you go back and figure out the timing, the days... The very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey was the very day prophesied about from Daniel 9. You remember what happened when he came in? He comes in, Mount of Olives cruising down, overlooking the Temple Mount, and there's tons of people there. You guys remember? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's our king. A few days later, what do they say? Crucify him, kill him. We have no king but Caesar. And he's coming in, and this was the, one of the first times, remember, every time you perform a miracle, don't tell anybody, don't tell don't let anybody know. But now he presents himself as the promised Messiah to his people. And he said, you should have known this day, your day, you should have known this. He held them accountable for that day. And he's weeping, he's convulsing. Because he knows that they're going to reject him. And here's this amazing prophecy being fulfilled of him coming in and presenting himself as the promised Messiah to his people. And then what happened? Well, the prophetic clock stopped with Jesus getting cut off. 483 years, boom, the prophetic clock stops. How many years are left? 490 minus 483 is 7. 7 years of tribulation. What does it begin with? Well, back to Daniel 9. What does the seven years begin with? The Antichrist signing a covenant, making a covenant, a peace treaty, a pact with many of the Jews. What's going to kick off the tribulation? It's that signing of this peace agreement with Israel by the Antichrist. Halfway through, how long is that? Three and a half years What happens? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Antichrist does what? He comes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Did you know the temple's going to get rebuilt? He's going to come into the temple and proclaim himself as God. And what's going to happen? The Jews are going to realize, that ain't the Messiah. That's not the Savior. And he's going to persecute them and hunt them down. The Bible tells us two-thirds of the Jews will be killed during that time. 
three and a half years. That's why, that's why Jesus says in the, in the middle of the all holds the key to that whole deal. And at the end of the tribulation, what's going to happen? Zechariah 12. I just mentioned it a minute ago. I'm going to flip over there. Zechariah 12. What's going to happen? The end of the tribulation. The Jews are going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and cry out for him. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I, this is the Lord speaking, will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. They will look upon, they will regard or depend upon me, the one they pierced. When did Almighty God get pierced? When he came to this earth and gave his life for us. Hosea, if you're taking notes, Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. Another reference to the Jews calling out to Jesus at the end of the tribulation and him coming. If Jesus, if Jesus cries out, will, you, will he come? Will he show up? That's not a trick question. You better believe it. Hosea 5.15, I will return again to my place. When did God leave heaven? When he came. I will return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction they will earnestly seek me. What was their offense? It was the rejection of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of Israel. He came to his own and his own what? Received him not. Once they acknowledge that, they say, oh, we messed up. Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just some fairy tale dude. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. He is the Savior. Lord Jesus, come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, is there any proof in the New Testament? Romans 11. Romans 11, awesome passage. Let's flip over there real quick. Romans 11. End of the seven-year period. Are you guys still tracking with me? We good? Okay. Romans 11. It's interesting because... Before 1948, remember 1948, Israel became a nation again after being dispersed almost 2,000 years, right? For all intents and purposes, no longer a nation, spread all over the globe. 70 AD is when it happened. Romans came, wiped out the temple, just as Jesus said it would happen. Jews get dispersed globally, out of their land, totally gone, turns into a junkyard, the whole nation. And then 1948, miracle happens. God brings them back. They become a nation again. Glorious. But it's interesting, before that time, there were theologians and Bible teachers, check this out, there were Bible teachers and scholars that were saying, man, there's no more Israel. You know what that means? The church must have replaced Israel. Listen, that's wrong. That is, that's bogus. That's a false teaching. It's called, it's called, big term, replacement theology. That the church has somehow replaced Israel. No, no, no. No way, Jose. God has a plan for the children of Israel. And it says in Romans 11, listen to this. I'm not even there yet, sorry. Oh, this is so good. Check this out. Look, listen to what it says. Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What does ignorant mean again? It's okay to say it in church. Starts with S, rhymes with noopid. It's, he doesn't want us to be stupid. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, all puffed up with pride, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So with the the shutting down of the prophetic clock, there's also been this spiritual blindness to the Jews. If you've ever ministered to a Jewish person, like, I don't want to hear it. No way. Get away from it. I don't care how many scriptures you show me. There's this blindness that's happening in part, but there are some Jews for Jesus, aren't there? Some that get saved, right? Awesome, great ministries, and God's using them mightily. But Paul's like, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
God wants his house filled, the Father's house filled. Gentiles are getting their opportunity right now to be saved. Don't get prideful, don't get haughty. And then he says, and so all Israel will be saved. That's, all, that's the remnant that's alive at the end of the tribulation that cries out for Jesus. How do you know that? Look at the next part of the verse. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Who's the deliverer? Jesus. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God is a promise-keeping God. And the first, So why tribulation? Why seven years? Here's the number one reason. Number one reason is to break the stubborn pride of the Jewish people. Daniel chapter 12, I don't have time to look at it right now. Daniel chapter 12, if you're taking notes, verses 5 through 7. The stubborn will of the Jewish people will be broken. What's the second reason, Pastor? Give me some reasons for this tribulation, man. Number two, there's going to be lots of people that get saved. Revelation chapter 7, you can check it out later. Revelation chapter 7, because why? Because listen, for some people, I'm including myself here, it took tribulation to break me. Heaviness, pounding, brokenness to cause me to cry out to Jesus. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It took the Lord break, man, allowing stuff to happen in our lives to bring us to that place of surrender. That's what's going to take during the seven years of tribulation, during that first part, primarily. What's the third reason? Listen, God's going to fumigate planet Earth. You guys ever get your house fumigated? Anybody ever get something fumigated? You're removing what? Removing pests. Removing stuff that doesn't belong. God is going to, listen, God is going to remove wickedness and wicked ones. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read the verses. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Actually, I'm going to read it. I've got to read this. This is really insightful. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Tribulation period. Cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. God is going to pour out his, his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. God's wrath is used during the tribulation ten times in the book of Revelation. And what's so beautiful, why are you bringing all this up, Pastor? Because the church, the bride, is not appointed unto future wrath. Do you guys know that this morning? 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to read it. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, Paul Really happy about what God's doing with the church of Thessalonica. By the way, he was only there three Sabbaths, maybe four weeks, tops. And you know what he taught these new believers about? End times events. What's the big theology? Eschatology. He taught them eschatology. You know that? Because some people say, we can't teach new believers that. Paul did. It's crucial that we get a picture and understand of how things are going to roll out. Why? Because these things should be comfort to us and encouragement to us and build us up and love the Lord even more because he, say, he rescues us from the wrath to come. Listen to what it says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. Paul writes, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you, he talks about the Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Is that good news this morning? Yes. Flip forward, 1 Thessalonians 5. Is it up on the board too? No, not yet. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. 
so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, tune in. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Amen? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath. It's Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. How can you say that? Because Jesus absorbed the wrath that we deserved when he died on the cross for our sins. He took the judgment, the punishment, the wrath that every single one of us deserved. He took our place. Well, does Jesus ever say you can escape the wrath? Does he ever say that? He does. Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21. Can I escape the wrath to come? I'm hearing you, Pastor, but did Jesus ever say that? Sure did, man. Luke 21. But take heed to yourselves. This is verse 34. This is the end of the Olivet Discourse in light of all that Jesus communicated. End time stuff ramping up with more intensity, more frequency before the second coming. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. What's carousing? Partying, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, the day of the Lord. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. The day of the Lord's coming for the whole planet. It's going to be global. It's a snare. Do snares feel good? Pain. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There's a way of escape. It's to be counted worthy. How can you be counted worthy? By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, you're just an escapist. Absolutely. <laughs> what are you, a stayist? <laughs> Jesus said it again in Revelation 3, verse 10. Check it out. Revelation 3, 10. You get a track it. I love it. Revelation 3.10, Jesus speaking to the church, giving out report cards. I love this. He said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. How's that sound? That sound pretty good, you guys? That sound pretty cool? Keep you from. It's not keep you through or during. It's a very specific Greek word. It means out from and to. The Lord comes and takes us out from this very hour of trial. And who's the hour of trial going to come upon? The whole, it's global. What's the means of deliverance? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. What's it say? What's it say? Someone, anybody. Behold, I am coming quickly or suddenly. Out of here. Rapture of the church before that hour of trial. Does everybody see this? Everybody see this? Hopefully. I love it. Jesus is in the delivery business. It's not consistent with God's character or nature to judge the righteous with the wicked. Give me an example of that, Pastor. How about Lot? Was Lot taken out from? He had to be carried, he had to be pulled out. Enoch, before this flood. A little personal rapture for that dude. Here in chapter 1, verse 7, every eye is going to see. Jesus at his second coming, but there's no indication that the whole world will see Jesus at the rapture of the church. 
Why? Because Jesus said he's coming as a thief in the night. Does a thief in the night give you a heads up, like text you? I'll be around like, what, 11? How about 1.15? Does he let you know when he's coming? Sudden, without warning, correct? Does every eye see a thief? No. Jesus said, I'm coming as a thief in the night, man. Boom, suddenly, quickly. That's why we need to be ready to be about our Father's business, to occupy till he comes in the twinkling of an eye. The only thing about eyes we know with the rapture and the twinkling of an eye, boom, we're, tra- we're changed. Brand new bodies. Anybody excited about that? I sure am. Every morning, it's snap, crackle, pop. Into the- <laughs> and as we close, listen, all of this fits within the framework of the Jewish wedding system. Some of you guys are familiar with the Jewish wedding system, ancient Jewish wedding system. What happens with that, Pastor? What are you talking about, man? Hopefully this will help things kind of click. So, the father is the one that picks the bride for the son. And so he cruises with the son over to the, the gal's house makes a covenant or a contract, pays the price for the bride. Does that sound familiar? Jesus paid the price for us. The Father gave his son to pay the price for you and I, for the bride, we're the bride, to pay for us. Was the covenant made? Every time, we, every time we take the bread and the cup, we celebrate that covenant. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. We celebrate what he's done. We take the bread it speaks of what? Of uniting life together. Our lives are united together with one another and with the Lord himself. And then what happens? So a covenant is made. The price is paid. What's next? Got something that rhymes with that, Pastor? Not yet. <laughs> the son goes back to the father's house to do what? To build on an addition to build on to the home to prepare a place for his bride. Does that sound familiar, y'all? So what does the bride do? In the meantime, you know what she does? She gets together her wedding dress, the materials to make it. She remains pure during that time. She makes sure that her and her bridesmaids have their oil in their lamps because typically the groom would come at night in the darkness that sound familiar? He could come at any moment suddenly. And what's interesting is typically it had to be a year for that betrothal period, sometimes longer. During that time, they were legally married, but not together yet. It was the father. He was the only one who knew when it was time to say go. The son didn't know. So the father would say to the son, okay, it's time. Go get her. Go fetch her. How cool is that? No one knows. The, didn't we just talk about that? You guys seeing how this kind of fits a little bit? But wait, there's more. So the son comes, big deal, blowing a ram's horn, cruising. All of a sudden, they come to the groom's house, or the, the, the bride's house. And what do they do? They lift her up and put her on like this horseless carriage thing. Doesn't that sound cool? That's like a princess fairy tale thing, isn't it? It's called a lit- I think it's called a litter. Put her on that. And where did she get taken to? Father's house. For how long? One week. Seven days. For the wedding. For the, for the marriage ceremony. And at the end of the seven days, they would come out for the marriage supper to be presented for everybody as Mr. and Mrs. Jim Bob Johnson or whatever. Does this sound like familiar to you guys? It's almost kind of like what we talked about. What a glorious picture of our relationship to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. I love what Paul said. I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know who Paul wrote that to? Do you guys know who Paul wrote that to? He wrote, he wrote to the Corinthians. Paul's like, I'm going to present you. I mean, 
I got to laugh because remember the church of Corinth? They were jacked up, weren't they? They had a few problems. But how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all of our sins. That you and I would be presented pure, without blemish. In the meantime, our job is to what? Is to be washed with the water of the word. The Lord's return shouldn't cause us to become theological, puffed up, swollen heads. Like I said earlier, this is not, this is, I'm not talking about theological positions here this morning. I'm talking about a living, loving relationship with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And it's abiding in him every day, allowing his word to wash over us, to purify us by his spirit, that we would be ready to meet him in the air, to be with him forever. That should comfort us this morning. That should encourage us this morning to say, Lord, I want to make my life count for you. Why? Because I love you. I'm looking for you to return because I love you. Not because I got my theological ducks in, ducks in a row and I know the ten toes on Daniel's statue and every one of those toes. And no, 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 no. I know you, Jesus, and I know you're coming for me. And I will proclaim your death till you come. That I am my beloved's and he is mine. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing, Lord, portion of Scripture and the Scriptures we've looked at. God, I pray for my precious brothers and sisters that, Lord, we would be able to sort all of this out, to have understanding, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your Word, God, please, that not only that we would learn and gain understanding and and gain insight and wisdom, but we would walk in these things grow in our love for you, to grow in our love for one another, and even to grow in a, a love, Lord, for a lost world that you died for, that you love.